Our scripture lesson for today, the seventh and final Sunday of the season of Easter, comes from Acts chapter 1, verses 15 through 17 and 21 through 26. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers. Together, the crowd numbered about 120 people and said, Friends, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit through David foretold concerning, concerning Judas, who became a guide for those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. So one of the men who have accompanied us through the, throughout the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us to his resurrection. So they proposed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justus, and Matthias. When they prayed and said, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them. And the lot fell on Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. The word of the Lord. Well, people of God, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. I have long been a, a fan of the idea of doing impressions. I love it when someone can so so accurately mimic the voice and even the vocal mannerisms of another person. Now, I think maybe subconsciously this is something that I love so much that I actually have the tendency to do it when, when I find myself in a different part of the world or a part of the country where accents or just the, the mode of talking is a little bit different. People have pointed it out to me that I, I tend to copy the, 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 the vocalizations of people around me, even without meaning to. But I think it all speaks into this idea of, of imitations. And in fact, I even do imitations. And sometimes in my own mind, I think they sound pretty good, even though everybody else they may not but there's one in particular that I think anyone can do maybe not the voice itself but at least the vocalizations the way of speaking this, this this character which is a very very old character it's Captain James T Kirk of the Starship Enterprise in the original Star Trek show played by William Shatner and it's easy enough to do because all you have to do is talk like this putting in those long extended significant pauses. Okay, I know that probably didn't sound very good. And maybe you're wondering, what does James Kirk have to do with this reading from Acts? And the answer is nothing beyond this idea of those significant pauses that he always places into his speaking. Significant pauses, these long quiet spells, these long periods when nothing much is happening, this is something in the biblical narrative from start to finish, it is very, very prevalent. We see many, many times when the people are waiting on God. They're waiting on the voice of God, or they're waiting for God to take action, or they're waiting for something to happen. It's, it's a period of just being on pause. Now, again, there are many through the scriptures, but I think within the, the, the idea of what we tend to focus on here in, in the church, and especially in the earliest church, there are two that come to mind, and they actually happened very close to one another. Now, the first significant pause in the life of the church happened right about the time of Easter that large pause when the entire world seemed to hold its breath between Friday when Jesus died on the cross and his glorious resurrection on Easter Sunday, this significant pause. 
The second one is one where we find ourselves right now. 40 days after the resurrection of Jesus was the day of ascension. And the day of ascension actually happened just this past Thursday, the day when we remember how Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, who had been appearing to his disciples and appearing to various different individuals for this period of of 40 days, then takes his disciples out of the city He tells them, I want you to wait in the city until you are empowered from on high. And then his physical form, his body, he, the living Jesus, is taken up from our world and returns to heaven in what we call the ascension. The disciples then go back into the city of Jerusalem where for 10 days they just kind of wait. This significant pause in the life of the church between Jesus' ascension and the empowerment of the earliest church at the day of Pentecost, which, hey, preview, we'll we'll feature that next Sunday. We're in the midst of that pause right now. Now, during this time, We don't know a whole lot about what the disciples, and not only the disciples, but all of the followers of Jesus, this earliest church, which we hear is about 120 people. We don't know much of what they're up to, only that they're in and around Jerusalem. They're spending that time there. They are waiting there, as Jesus told them. But we do have one story. And that one story, the the one bit of action that we hear about during this significant pause is what we focus on today. Now, perhaps it's fitting that Peter is the one who speak, who jumps up and begins to speak at the beginning. Even throughout the ministry of Jesus, Peter is often the one who just kind of speaks impulsively. And maybe considering that history of Peter, maybe this was something he was just thinking and he just jumped up and started talking. Or it's possible that this was a question and a debate that was going around amongst all of the disciples and all of those 120 people of what are we going to do now? But he jumps up because the church, as it is in this moment, during this significant pause, chooses to take some action. Now, when Peter begins to talk, he's, he's first talking about Judas. And he references a prophecy made many, many centuries before by the great King David, some 900 years before Jesus was even walking around, about the the one that would betray the Messiah, who he says is Judas. Now, the thing about Judas, he had been claimed by Jesus. He had been called by Jesus. He had been gathered by Jesus. He had been named as one of the 12 by Jesus. And because of that, he was a part of this ministry. He was a witness to it. He had seen it. He had been a part of it. He had been empowered by Jesus at different times, just like the rest of the disciples. And all of them were a part of it. But now Judas is gone. We know Judas is gone. That's one. We we have two accounts of what happened to Judas after the the betrayal of Jesus. Neither one of them is real spectacular. And one we hear that he hangs himself. And another we hear he's out in a field and he falls down and all of his organs come bursting out. Neither one of those sounds real lovely. But all we know is that Judas is gone and things have not gone well for him. But this group, this church, they know that he had been part of something specific and that he had a role in it, and they feel it's important that they replace him. And that's what this story is about. That is the action that they are taking during this significant pause between Jesus' departure and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Now, I appreciate the way they go about it. They don't just pick someone off the street all willy-nilly. They think about it a lot, and they say, this is going to be someone tasked with proclaiming the resurrection and being part of this ministry just as we are. So let's look around this group of 120 people and let's 
figure out who has been among us to be witnesses just as we were to this whole thing, beginning with the, the baptism of John up until the time of his resurrection. Who has witnessed it? And as they look around, they pick two people. We've got one guy with three names, which makes him seem really important. He's known as Joseph, also known as Barsabbas, also known as Justus. And then we've got this other guy named Matthias. And they look at both of them and they say, both of these two individuals have been witnesses. They have been part of this group the entire time. They have seen the things that we have seen. We believe that it is one of these two. And then they pray and they say, Lord, you know the hearts of all people. So you know which one of these two you have chosen. Show us. And then they essentially flip a coin. It says they cast lots, but basically that's what they're doing. They cast lots. It falls to Matthias. Sorry, Justus, a.k.a. Barsabbas, a.k.a. Joseph. I guess you'll just have to stay a secondary person. Matthias is the one chosen. Matthias joins the ranks with the other 11. He takes the open place of Judas. He joins in this specific ministry and this specific proclamation of the resurrection. And then what's wonderful about it, we never hear about him again. We have no idea what becomes of Matthias. I can only imagine that during this time, during this initial spread of the gospel, once the empowerment of the Holy Spirit happens at Pentecost and word begins to spread, the gospel begins to spread, the church begins to spread, I can only imagine that he did important work, that he was every bit as, as important as any of the other ones. We just never hear about him again. And so it raises the question of what did his ministry look like? What did his portion look like? What did he bring? What gifts did he bring? What perspective did he bring into this ministry that is now different because he is a part of it? I can only imagine that whatever natural, inherent, God-given gifts Matthias had would have been different than whatever God-given gifts Judas had. And they were different from every gift that the other disciples had as well. Peter and Andrew and James and John and all the rest. They all brought their own perspective, their own unique gifts, their own unique talents. And when they are united and empowered by the Holy Spirit, they shape the ministry, the same ministry that they're all a part of, but they shape it because of who they are. This is a good example for us to remember that the church is ever changing as different individuals become a part of the ministry and join in the ministry and bring their gifts and their talents and what they offer and their perspective. It's ever changing. And folks, the ministry never looks quite the same, does it? I can only think that this is the way it has been over the course of the last 2,000 years as we consider the church as we consider our own Lutheran expression, as we consider our denomination of the, of the, the ELCA or our synod, the Western Iowa Synod, or even our congregation of Underwood Lutheran, in every different expression, in every different shape of the church is ever changing. It's always being made new as new and in different individuals step into different roles in the ministry. Think about the way here in our congregation when this happens. Our elected leadership, our elected council, every year individuals cycle off when their term is up. New individuals, they cycle in to the, to the, the council, to the ministry. They all take part in different ways. They bring their own unique perspective and unique gifts and unique ideas about things, and things are continuously beginning to look different as it's moving forward. Perhaps also important for us to remember 
is that this example that we have heard of today, whether it was intended by God or whether it was the disciples and, and the earliest church acting before they should have, regardless of what it may be, it is a good example for us that the ministry that we are called into is always moving forward and is ever changing. It doesn't go backwards. We are perhaps in the midst of one of these significant pauses right now. And it is perhaps fitting that we have this passage, that we have this idea, this, this thing presented before us right now as we have just received word in the recent days that ch things are changing. The CDC is, is making new guidelines. They're relaxing some situations in regards to the ongoing case of COVID. And we are hopeful that we are maybe in the beginning of the end now, and we are finally, at least here in our country and here in our part of the world, that we are moving past it. We're not through it yet, but we're getting close. And that's encouraging. But I can't help but think how many, uh, how many of us have expressed the desire at different times. I just wish we could go back. I wish we could go back to late 2019 before any of us had ever heard of COVID and we all felt comfortable and we all knew what to expect and we didn't have these safety concerns and we didn't have to take all these precautions and we just knew what to expect. But folks, I wonder how well was that really working for us when we're really honest about ourselves, when we're really honest about the state of the church and, and the state of faith and the state of all of this, was it perfect? The answer is no. And we know that when we're honest with ourselves. And yet, we all have this, this human tendency to go back to what we know, to go back to what we remember and what we remember so fondly when we look backwards with those rose-colored glasses that we're all so capable of. Folks, there is a scripture lesson or a scripture story that reveals this same type of idea, but we gotta go a long way back to it. We have to go all the way back to Exodus. I like to joke around that about five minutes after the Israelites have left Egypt and gone through the Red Sea and seen all these amazing, powerful displays of God, how quickly they start longing for Egypt. The second they get hungry and thirsty, they start to grumble. They say, remember how good it was back in Egypt? We had all the food we could drink. We never wanted for anything. All that we had to do was be slaves. God doesn't ask us to go backwards. God invites us forwards and empowers us into new things. But sometimes we have to endure the significant pause. And yet in the midst of that, as we continue to reflect, as we continue to tiptoe our way forward into whatever it is that God is inviting us into once this is over, we remember that the proclamation does not change even when the ministry looks different. Even when those empowered to do the ministry in that moment bring different gifts, therefore making it look different. That's what they said about Matthias. Let's bring him in. He has been a witness of these things. Let's bring him in to join us in the proclamation of the gospel. This is what we are called to do. We are called to proclaim the gospel, which is also for us. A gospel that says that God loves you and God claims you and that through Jesus, God has somehow overcome the world, which is broken, which is flawed. God has somehow overcome that, which hinders the relationship and the harmony that exists between humanity and between humanity and God. And that even more fitting, even more wonderful is that promise 
that claim of God is upon you. But that claim also joins you in the ministry of proclaiming it to others. That is what we are called to do as we move forward into whatever it is that God is inviting us into. As this period, as this significant pause is coming towards completion, May we all look with longing and with hope and with joy and with proclamation of this gospel that invites us into the unknown future. Amen.